Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Byers. Welcome back. It's a rainy old day here in Texas, but we're gonna uh, just move forward with what I have to talk about today, and that is codependency. I'm gonna do this in two parts because I think it deserves more than one uh, 15 minute treatise on it. So I'm gonna discuss it in two parts and I wanna just right at the beginning say three things about codependency. It's based in need and often neediness. It's based in fear, which tends to drive manipulation and control and it's based in a lack of a secure sense of self. So this insecurity often feeds it. All right, so normal dependency, which we all um, have beginning in infancy, is when we need the nurture of a mom, and when we can trust mom for that, we develop normal dependency, and later in life, we're able to trust other adults and form healthy interdependent relationships. But if not, we tend to step into some form of codependency, based on our insecurities and the way we've just developed over the years. So codependency has been called loving too much, but it's not loving too much. It's a disordered kind of love that we give to others. So Pastor Jean Holt, I like her definition. She says it's living in the orbit of someone else's neediness, their uh, darkness, their pain, their sorrow, their addiction, their chaos. So it's like, here's the sun and you're orbiting like a planet around the sun. They're the center, like a magnet, keeping you in that orbit, drawing you in. And you're just constantly aware of their needs, their pain, wondering what they're doing, their feelings, you live in their orbit. Why do we do this? Well, we all have some dysfunction from our family of origin. We've all learned some codependent ways of being, and particularly so when there has been abuse and alcoholism and other kinds of addictions, divorce and things like that. We have these deep underlying unmet needs, and really what we're trying to do through codependency is get these needs met. So we're all in some ways susceptible to that. So what are some of the hallmarks of codependency? By the way, the biblical word for codependency, that's our psychological word. The biblical word really would be idolatry when we're in idolatry toward another. So one of the hallmarks is we need to be needed. We need for other people to need us. We find our sense of self. We find our importance caring for someone else. And again, that is idolatry. We have a fear of not being there when people need us because their need gives us our sense of who we are and, and what we're important for. So we really are beginning with an insufficient and um, a sense of self and a lack of, of real foundational stability. Second hallmark of codependency is an, another need. It's a need to be idealized. So if I have something uh, to do for others, 
therefore I am someone. And so I can lose myself if that need goes away. I mean, that's my identity. And so when I help you, you admire me and you idealize me and I feel good about myself. The second need in codependency is the need for control. And by the way, this is always part of codependency is um, control. And the question is, you know, who is in control here? It often usually involves some form of manipulation. So often codependents are seen as the victims who are acted upon, right? Someone's taken advantage of the passive one, the weak one. Um, and on the face of that, that may seem true. But the other part of that is the other person's need to control. So codependency really is destructive because at the very heart of it, it's, it's a need love and it masquerades as a gift love. It looks like I'm giving you love, but really I'm connected to you because I'm taking something from you and getting something that I feel like I need, okay? The fourth hallmark is the need to rescue. Uh, so doing for others what they're really capable of doing for themselves. That would be a definition of rescuing. Even though they may appear helpless and we're tempted to rush in and rescue them from their circumstances, very often that's the last thing they truly do need. Uh, but codependents have a sense of felt responsibility. And often that came from a family of origin as they grew up. And some have even spiritualized that. You know, if you go say to Galatians 6.1, where it talks about bearing one another's burdens, they take that too far to the extreme and carry everyone else's burdens and they feel borne down by that. And um, when we start losing our own peace, when we are so weary from the needs of others. That's a spiritual danger sign that we need to uh, take a step back and look at what's really going on. Father Jacques Philippe wrote, we have a way of implicating ourselves in the sufferings of others that's not always correct, that sometimes proceeds more from a love of self than a true love of others. And he's talking about a selfish, self-centered kind of love. And we believe that to preoccupy ourselves excessively with another person in difficulty is justified. That is a sign of the love that we feel for the other person. But undue preoccupation like that, that's a sign of codependency. All right, the fifth hallmark of codependency is inadequate or insufficient boundaries. We don't know how to have good internal boundaries. So, Maybe we feel other people's feelings too much. Maybe we feel and carry their shame uh, and it mimics all sorts of feelings in us and they don't feel their own shame or something like that. And so we feel it and we carry it and we take undue responsibility for it. And sometimes this can be really confusing to us because we care about someone, but once our own lack of peace gets disturbed, that's a sign to us that something's amiss in our soul. We don't need to be preoccupied and anxious for others. We're to walk in peace, even as we love others well. 
So out of the place of needing to be needed, needing to be idealized, needing to control or rescue or not having boundaries, we can find ourselves really weary, burned out, angry, feeling like a martyr, used, misunderstood, and so on. And it's an incredibly lonely place that we end up. And again, we're sort of confused. I, I seem to have given so much. Why am I so lonely and misunderstood? And so we need to ask ourselves a hard question. You know, what's my part in this? If I find myself like this, and what's the payoff uh, for being codependent? What's my investment in it? What's my payoff? You know, maybe I feel needed. Maybe it gives me a sense of importance. Um, Jean Holt also said, at the center of codependency is a complaint that needs to be uncovered. There's a wrong message at the center. Maybe it's a message that we've internalized. It some, says something like, I'll always be in lack and I'll never get what I need from others unless I work hard at it and manipulate and control them to get it, even seduce them into a kind of relationship with me through what I can do for them and then keep them in that relationship. And we may not think of it that clearly, but that's actually what's happening. So emotional dependency, this is what we're talking about, occurs when the ongoing presence of another person and the nurture of that other person is to believe to be necessary for our very existence. And we give up, let me say that again, when we feel their presence is necessary for our existence and we feel such angst without it. And so we end up giving up way too much of our own personal power to be who we are to others. We hand over to them uh, whether or not it will be well, whether or not we will be happy, uh, and, and we make it dependent on how they treat us. Oswald Chambers said, the first thing to do in experiencing the power that dominates me, the power coming from another that dominates me, is to take hold of the unwelcome fact that I'm responsible for being dominated. Yeah, we have to reckon with that. What's what's going on and what is my part in this? And sometimes when you look at a, a codependent relationship, it often seems like there's a weak person and there's a strong person. But in reality, they're both weak. They're both in real need of some significant healing. So let me talk about now just a particular kind of codependency called co-addiction. Patrick Carnes wrote a book, I think in the 80s, called uh, Out of the Shadows, and he really began to identify, I think the term was first used for partners of alcoholics, and then he used the term for partners of those in um, sexual um, addictions. And um, so in a relationship with the addict, the other person is the co-addict, the codependent. So he said, and, and he talked about the cycle, and I'm going to go through it, but I want you to watch for the five hallmarks that I mentioned, the need to be needed, the need to rescue, the need uh, to be idealized, and so on. He said the co-addict starts to participate in the same impaired mental processes as the addict. And they have lack of boundaries. 
So if you are loving the one who's addicted, you start feeling the loss in that relationship, the problems in that relationship. And then often you first try to, to deny it, usually by fixing it, which never will work because you can't fix something in another person's life and heart. Uh, but then we end up being angry and despairing because we can't fix it and they aren't listening to us. And then we make all of these fix it sort of efforts to restore the relationship and it doesn't work. They're very ineffective. And then often we intensify the cycle and end up making things worse in our need to rescue, need to be needed. The co-addict ends up sacrificing their own identity bit by bit, giving up parts of themselves to stay in the relationship. See, they need to be needed so they'll have this sense of self, but it really takes it away. So they especially will disregard their own intuitions, what they really know if they're paying attention. Um, and that's what denial is. And denial at its subtlest is us ignoring our own intuitions of heart. The co-addict uh, feels disrespected. They feel like they're being made irrelevant. Uh, but they have started that relationship with some core beliefs about themselves and about relationships, about sexuality, about their needs, and they often have a sense of real abandonment. So then the co-addict feels uh, inadequate, so they feel responsible for others. And then sometimes there can even be this sense of grandiosity, you know, and they need to be idealized. So when we enable an addict, it involves a fundamental dishonesty on our part and an ignoring of our own intuitions, really a, a denial of that. And then sometimes we'll blame, we're trying to protect our own vulnerability there and hide our own feelings and shield ourselves from fear and powerlessness and hopelessness. So then um, we get so preoccupied with their issues that we start controlling and manipulating and trying to fix it even more. And it rests in this assumption that we have power over the addict, which of course is never possible. The only power we have is within ourselves to take responsibility for our own things. Um, so we can become very self-righteous. And again, that masks some of our fears and then we'll switch between control and compliance and enabling and switch back and forth. All right, so I'm going to pause here. This was part one. And um, next time I'll pick up, finish about uh, the co-addict and go on to talk about emotional codependency. Thanks for listening and join me for part two, please.